Good morning. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'm Pastor Ryan, and it is my privilege to bring the word to you this morning. Not quite Reverend Ryan yet, and please, you don't need to call me that after tonight. Today in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be in the second half of Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to see Paul saying, telling us three things that we really need to know, and specifically three things that we need to know about how God relates to us. So this is a classic three-point sermon, um, which was a requirement for my ordination, actually. I had to preach a three-point sermon before I could be ordained. That's a joke, by the way. Um, so as, as I was thinking about these three things that we need to know uh, about how God relates to us, it caused me to think about how you could take any topic and you could boil it down to three essential things that you need to know. And so I decided to do that with a few different things. The first one is having kids. What are three things that you need to know about having kids? Number one, it is the most wonderful thing in the world. Number two, it is the most difficult thing in the world. And number three, you're going to do something wrong. No matter who you are, you're going to mess up your kids in some way. And I'm very thankful for the grace of God. Okay, what about building? We're in the midst of a building project right now as a church. Ephesians is all about building the church. Well, what, what do you know about building? Maybe you've maybe you built your house or you've done a remodel project. Maybe you've been something with that. We're remodeling our kitchen right now. And so three things I've learned about that is, number one, it's going to be more expensive than you think. <laughs> number two, it's going to take more time than you think. And number three, something's going to go wrong. And as I was thinking about that one, I actually thought, you know, a totally different topic had the same exact points that you needed to know. And it was going shopping at Target with your wife. You see, it's going to be more expensive than you think. It's going to take more time than you think. And something's going to go wrong. Okay, I'm just kidding. I don't have experience with that. I'm serious. Um, If you do, I'll pray for you. All right, one more. Um, This whole ordination thing that we've been talking about that I've been going through, um, a lot of people have been asking about what it's about. We don't do it very often, so a lot of people don't know what ordination is about. So I thought I would describe the process to you a little bit and then tell you three things you need to know about ordination. So um, my, there's starts off with an ordination council. So eight pastors and elders from churches around the area got together, and they were my council. And we met five different times for two hours each time, and they would grill me on theology and ministry, asking me questions about what I believe and why I believe it. So five sessions, two hours each session. So here's three things I learned about ordination. Number one, they never ask you the questions you actually prepared for. I'd spend all this time preparing for these questions, and they'd ask the ones I didn't prepare for. They look for your weaknesses and get you. That's number one. Number two is details really matter. I, I tend to, to be a big picture kind of person. I like the big ideas. And they really pushed me on some of the details. Not only what you believe, but where in the Bible can you show that you believe that? And is that actually what that verse means, those kinds of details? So that's number two. Number three, the third thing you need to know about ordination, at least this was true about my ordination council, is that they wanted to see me succeed. And that was a really good thing. Because along the way, sometimes it felt like they were trying to get me to fail. But that wasn't where their heart was. 
Um, and and it, the, the goal of it wasn't just to say, hey, you know what, Ryan's a pretty cool guy, let's ordain him. Um, it was a refinement by fire. And they, they put me through the process, and I can look back now, even though at the times, at, at the time sometimes it was frustrating, I can look back now and I can appreciate it and I'm thankful for that process. Well, you could do this with just about any topic. You could boil it down to three essential things. And that's what Paul's going to do today in relation to our faith and our life with Christ, um, especially relation to how God relates to us. And it's actually a prayer. And we're going to see how important it is that it's a prayer as we move through this. He's not just communicating information. He is. He's telling them, here's three things you need to know. But he's actually doing it in a prayer, saying, here's three things you need to know, and I'm going to pray that you would understand them. And so we're going to, we're going to dig into this prayer this week and talk about these three things. But this prayer, it doesn't start in verse 15. We're going to start in verse 15 today, 15 through 23. This whole section, this whole chapter of Ephesians is actually kind of one big prayer. And there's, we just see different types of prayer throughout it. It really starts off with praise. The beginning, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Even though, as he goes on to describe our faith in Christ, about how we've been chosen, we've been adopted, we've been redeemed, it's all from a perspective of giving God the glory, praising God for what he has done. And now as we get to today's passage, we're going to see two other forms of prayer. The first one is going to be thanksgiving, being thankful for something. And then the second one is supplication or intercession. Then he's going to actually pray for the Ephesians. So we're going to see how that plays out. Let's start with verse 15 and 16 with this thanks, prayer of thanksgiving. This is what Paul says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Well, what is he saying here? He, he's giving thanks to God for the Ephesians. He's telling the Ephesians, this is what I'm thankful for about you. And there's two main things that he's thankful for. Number one is their faith in the Lord Jesus, their faith in Jesus. And their second is their love toward all the saints, their love for one another. And these aren't just two random things that he happens to be thankful for. These are foundational. As you look at what, what is the Christian life all about, as you look at, it's those two things. And Earlier in the chapter, verses 3 through 14 is all about that faith. And he's so thankful. He spent so much time with them, and then he left, and he's thankful that they've continued on in that faith. Then the other side of it, and, and actually the whole first three, vers- the first three chapters of Ephesians, the full first half of it is about that faith. It's about the gospel. Then the other piece, the love for all the saints or the love for one another. That's how we live our faith out. That's Ephesians 4 through 6. This is we have this faith, and now we're going to live that faith out as we love one another, love God, and love others. So we see very intentionally he's, talk, he's thankful for these foundational things about what, really what the Christian life is all about, faith in Jesus and love for one another. That's what he's thankful for, for the Ephesians. As we move on, though, the next several verses are going to be this prayer of intercession. He's praying on behalf of the Ephesians. And like I said, it's, it's kind of, the wording is a little bit weird. It's a prayer, but he seems like he's describing what he prays for them. But as you think about it, if you were to write a prayer and a letter to someone, this is kind of how you would put it. Um, he's, he's saying, hey, this is what I pray for you. 
but he's also kind of praying it as he's saying it. And like I said, as we get into this, you're going to see why it's so important that this isn't just information. It's so important that this is a prayer. I want to give you the structure of it. Um, if you remember last week, Pastor Bob talked about how verses 3 through 14 are all one big long sentence in Greek. Well, we've got the same thing here. Verses 15 through 23 are one big long sentence, and it can be overwhelming and confusing at times. You'll read it and you'll go, this is good stuff, but I don't really know what it's saying. So I want to give you some structure and, and that'll help us as we walk through it. So starting with verse 17 and 18, we're going to see kind of the big idea. This is an introduction. Here's the big picture of what he's going to pray for them. And after that, we move on to the main body of it, which is the three things. Remember, we've been talking about that, the three things you need to know. That's where we'll see the three things. And then at the end, verses 19 through 23, is just expounding on that third point. On that third thing we need to know, he's going to continue and expound on it. And uh, we'll see why that is so important there. So let's jump into this introduction here. Verse 17. So he said right before this, remembering you in my prayers, he's praying for them. And he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. As we get into this, it's important to point out, I've been talking about Paul praying this for the Ephesians, but one of the great things about this passage is this applies directly to us. So I'm going to change the way I'm speaking a little bit today and just talk about how this relates to us, praying this for ourselves or for those around us. So what is he saying? That God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, This is all about knowing God, not just knowing about him, but knowing him. And how do we know God unless he's revealed himself to us, unless he's given us his Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and understanding so that we would know him? There's another verse that actually talks about this. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11 say this. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. This just logically makes sense. How can you really know someone unless they reveal themselves to you? Now we can know about God. You look at creation and you can know about God. But to really know him, he has to reveal himself to you. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. So this prayer right here starts out with this idea that the only way that we're truly going truly to know and understand what God is saying is if he reveals himself to us. If he gives us his Holy Spirit, he gives us wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of him if our eyes are opened up so that we can see these things that are true about God and true about us. And that's why this is a prayer. If it wasn't a prayer, it would just be information, but he's praying, no, I pray that they would even understand these things that I'm about to tell them. And so I actually want to stop right here and pray for us. I want to pray that we would understand what God is communicating to us here this morning. So would you join me as we pray? Father, we come before you and worship you here this morning, God, because you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And Lord, I thank you for these people that are here this morning. God, I thank you for their faith in Jesus and their love for one another. And Lord, I pray that you would give all of us here this morning a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that our eyes would be opened, 
that you would give us your Holy Spirit and your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and understanding to know you and to know these things that you've revealed through your word. God, I pray that we would believe them and apply them to our lives. But God, we can't do it on our own. We need your help. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Okay, now we're in the main part of it. Here's the three things we've been waiting to talk about. Let's read through them all, and then we'll go back one by one and talk about them. So halfway through verse 18, it starts with this. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Those are the three things right there. The the hope that we've been called to, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints, and then God's immeasurable power toward us. There's so much packed into those, so let's just take them one by one. We start off with the first one, the hope to which he has called you. There's two aspects that we need to talk about here, both hope and calling. And as we talk about, I want to start with calling. As we think about that word in in, in church and Christian circles, how do we usually use that word calling? We often think about it in terms of purpose or vocation. People will say things like, I feel really called to serve in children's ministry. Or, I feel called to be a deacon. Or, I feel called to be an elder. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked, Ryan, when did you first feel called to be a pastor? Now, is that what this passage is talking about right here? Actually, it's not. It's not about uh, the, the job that God has given us to do. It's about something else. This is God calling us to himself. God has called us to himself. Self. As I thought about this this last week, I thought about the way that I call my kids to me. I, I imagine myself sitting on the couch calling to my kids, especially maybe I'll, I'll use Harper as an example. She is our youngest. She's 10 months old, so she's just starting to crawl around. And so there's times where I'll be sitting there and I'll call to her. I'll say, Harper, come here. Harper. And it sounds like I'm calling a dog, but how else do you call a 10-month-old? I don't know. And what does she do? She'll usually look at me and she'll maybe even smile But does she come? Sometimes, sometimes, but more often than not, she doesn't. And why doesn't she come to me? I just want to welcome her in my arms. I want to hold her and hug her and spend time with her. But she's distracted. And nine times out of ten, she's distracted by something she's not supposed to be getting into. Right? She wants to go eat her siblings' Legos or get into the garbage or a cupboard or something like that. And, you know, maybe there's something there being called, and yet we're distracted by something else that we're not supposed to be getting into. And that's not what this passage is about, but maybe there is still something there. And I can say I'm very thankful that God's calling is far more effective than my calling of my kids. God has called us to himself. And it says that, it talks about hope. And when he calls us, we have a hope in that calling. What is our hope? I'm sure a lot of us in here, we have lots of hopes, hopes for the future, things that we're thinking about. And yet, what is this hope that we're talking about? This is the eternal hope that we have in Christ, the eternal hope that we have with God forever. This is the picture of the new creation where the dwelling place of God is with man and we will dwell with him forever. Because God has called us to himself, we're with him. Right now, it's in spirit that we are with him but one day we will physically be with him for all of eternity. God has called us to himself. What does that tell us about God? What does that tell you 
about who God is, about who we are. It tells us that that God wants us. You see, God is the one that's calling to us, not the other way around. He is the one who, who is drawing us to himself. He wants us. And that's so important for us to understand as followers of Jesus, to be reminded of that God has called us, that he wants us. This is the first thing that you need to know. Number two, the second thing you need to know, it says this, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, what pops out to you here is probably the word inheritance. And maybe you're thinking about last week, and you're thinking about verses 11 through 14, because it talks about our inheritance there. And, and what kind of inheritance is it talking about there? It's talking about our inheritance in God, and that we've already received a down payment of it, that we have the Holy Spirit. And so we often, we look at that and we go, oh, he must be talking about the same thing. He's just reminding us of that from a few verses earlier. But actually, pay attention. What does it say? It says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. God has an inheritance? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, an inheritance is something that you don't have right now that you will get someday in the future. And, I mean, God has everything. He created all things. All things are sustained by his power. So God has everything. There's nothing that he doesn't have. Is there? Well, maybe there's one thing. Something that he freely gave up, that he gave a choice to. He gave us a choice, whether to be with him or not to be with him. And we chose to sin. We chose to walk away from him. Humans, we are the one thing that God didn't have. What did he do? And it makes us maybe feel, it makes us feel uncomfortable to say that. It sounds weird to say that God doesn't have anything, doesn't have something. And I'm not saying that God doesn't have power or authority over us. He does. But we severed that relationship with him because of sin. And so it's the one thing that God didn't have. But I know what you're thinking. Well, when it comes to an inheritance, right? An inheritance is something that you get when your parents die. Maybe not a great way to think about it. But usually somebody has to die in order for you to get your inheritance. And nobody had to die for God to get his inheritance, right? Oh, wait. But it's, it's reversed. The son died so that the father would receive the inheritance. We are God's glorious inheritance. This isn't a new concept. Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 9 says this. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. Portion, heritage. Israel was God's inheritance. And we are God's inheritance. Now, on Monday morning, we have a Bible study where we talk about the sermon for the next week. And as we were there this last week, one of the guys spoke up and he said, you know, it really seems like God got a raw deal out of this. I don't know what you think. I, I love you guys, but honestly, we are God's inheritance. He could have done a lot better than that. And it's important that we just sit here for just a moment and recognize that I am not worthy to be God's inheritance. It's not like, you know what, God really should be thankful that he gets me because that's pretty great. No, 
he did get a raw deal, and yet, that's not how he views it. That's not God's perspective on it. If you look at, look at the language that is used here, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You are God's glorious inheritance. Has anyone ever said that about you before? We are God's glorious inheritance. Sometimes we kind of see God as this aloof deity that, that doesn't really care about us, but he's promised some things along the way. And if you believe in Jesus, then he's got to put up with you for all of eternity. And so I guess, you know, he's faithful, so he'll do it, but he doesn't really like it. And yet that's not what is communicated here. God is delighted that you are his inheritance. God is delighted that he gets to spend all of eternity with you. And I think we need to know this. I think we need to remember this. First of all, that God has called us, that he wants us, that, that we are God's inheritance, that he delights in us. God likes you. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. That's the second thing that we need to know. Now we come to the third thing that we need to know about how God relates to us. And we see this. This is verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. There's two aspects here we need to talk about. God's power and how that power is towards us. And that's actually worked out in the rest of the passage here. This is where, where Paul expounds on this idea of God's power and how his power is in us. So let's just read the rest of the chapter to help us understand this. So God's power... Um, According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's walk through this. We see God's power in the resurrection of Jesus, him raising him from the dead, and in Jesus' exaltation, that he is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. And God has put Jesus over every power and authority, over every ruler, not just now, but, but forever. Jesus is above every name that has ever been named. We see God's power represented in Jesus. But then how is God's power toward us? Well, Jesus is the head, and it says that he gave him, who's the head, over all things, to the church. Jesus has been given to us, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus, who is over everything in the universe, he's the head, and we are his body. As the church, we are the body of Christ, and the fullness of him is in the church, and we have access the immeasurable power of God through Jesus. How well do you understand God's power? How well can you comprehend God's power? I can't do it very well, to be honest with you. It just feels overwhelming. We, I, I can't even grasp how much power God has. And as I was thinking about this, I, I thought about our own understanding of power and authority. And when you think about authority in the world today, there's a lot of authority. There's lots of governments, there's lots of power structures, there's world leaders and, and politicians and all sorts of things, right? And, and so we understand authority in that sense. And yet, all of that authority is recognized authority. 
Now, don't get me wrong. God has given us an innate authority over animals and plants on this earth. But, but all this other authority that we have over other humans is recognized. It's dependent on the people saying, yes, you are in power. If you took one of these world leaders and everybody just said, never mind, you're not in power anymore, there's not a whole lot they could do about it on their own. And so we don't see that true authority very much. And a lot of it's because we're not all that powerful. Outside of our technology, outside of our weapons, we really don't have that much power as humans. You take the most powerful bodybuilder human and you put it up against a baby and it seems like a lot more power and yet in, in, in reality, it's not that much. It's nothing compared to the power that God has. And I think this is why we have such a fascination with superheroes. Our culture right now is obsessed with superheroes. You look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how many movies and TV shows have been made in the last 15 years just in that group, not to mention all the years before where superhero movies were made. We're obsessed with it, and why? Why do people like superheroes so much? Well, I think there's something there about our desire to believe in something bigger than ourselves, to believe in something more powerful than us. Because when bad things happen, we really hope that someone more powerful can come and save the day. When bad things happen, it'd be really nice if Captain America or Iron Man showed up and saved the day. And yet, even the power of these fictional superheroes that we come up with is nothing compared to the real, true power of God. Just go with me on this for a second. You might think it's weird to compare fictional power that we've made up to the real power of God, but I think it's helpful because we have such a hard time really grasping the power of God. And so you take the biggest bad guy in the MCU, which would be maybe Thanos, okay? Maybe you can argue with me or whatever, but Thanos, even Thanos with all six infinity stones, right, he can snap his fingers and half of humanity is wiped out of existence. I mean, that is power. And yet it's still nothing compared to God who spoke the universe into existence in the first place. Why are we comparing fake fictional power to real power? Because even the best that we can come up with is still nothing compared to the power of our God, to the power of the one true God, Yahweh. The immeasurable greatness of his power. And you know, what baffles me is that it then says, toward us who believe, that somehow, some way, we have access to this immeasurable power. Does that even make sense? Do you feel powerful? I don't, in a lot of ways. And maybe it's because we're looking for it in the wrong places. I don't tap into the Holy Spirit, tap into God's power to become a superhero. It, it's, it's towards us in, in a few specific ways. The first way is in the gospel. The Bible tells us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. So we see God's power worked out in the gospel and, and that it saves us. And, and that's really important, but I want to talk about our present power. And actually, as we look at these three things that we're talking about today, what we see is our calling is in the past. God has called us to himself. We see that his inheritance in us is in the future. But it leaves us with, what about today? I know I've been saved, and I know that I have a glorious future with God, but what about today? Because today is kind of rough. God, do you have anything for me today? And what does he say? Yeah, my immeasurable power is available to you today. In two specific ways. Number one is 
in the new life that we live in Christ. And, and we're going to get a lot more into this in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. But for right now, we at least need to touch on it. We have a new life in Christ. We have been saved by grace through faith. It's not by works that we're saved. And yet, we were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand. And so after we're saved, after we have that faith, we're called to live in righteousness. We're called to live a new life in Christ and become more like him and and live rightly before God. So in that righteous living, God's power is available to us. That's the first way. The second way is in the mission we've been given to spread the gospel to all the nations. Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. There's a really important word there, therefore. And that causes us that causes us to just look back one line. You know what it says? Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's only because Jesus has all the authority and power that we can go and spread the gospel to all nations. Do you feel God's power? It's hard sometimes. Can I make a confession here this morning? I still struggle with sin. Anyone else? If you say you have no sin, then you make him a liar and his word is not in you. So yeah, we should all be raising our hands. I still struggle with sin. And like I mentioned earlier, it's like, I know you've saved me and I know I have a glorious future with you, but right now, I just am struggling with this, God, and I want to do better but the things I don't want to do are the things that I do, and the things that I do are the things that I don't want to do, and we're just caught in this cycle of sin. How is God's power available to me now? It's available, but I've got to plug in. Think about an outlet on the wall. And it's a special outlet. It doesn't work for anything. It works for a few specific things, but we've got to plug into that. This last week I was at a conference and someone was talking a little bit about this and they said sometimes we view our spiritual trajectory. We've we've been saved and it should be onwards and upwards the rest of our life, but we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Think about your patience. Has your patience grown since you've become a follower of Jesus? That's often what we'll talk about. But the truth is there's times 10 years ago where I was more patient than I was last Friday. And it can be disappointing But the problem is, is because last Friday I was trying to use my own patience rather than relying on God's patience. The fruit of the Spirit are characteristics about God that are available to us through his power, through the Holy Spirit, that we can tap into, that we can rely on, that we can use. But it's not our power, it's God's power. When I'm trying to do it on my own, when I'm trying to be a good person on my own power, it's never going to work. It's like the guy went to the hardware store and he wanted to buy a new saw. And so the salesman there said, hey, we've got these new items in. It's called a chainsaw. It'll make your life so much easier. You'll be able to cut up so much wood. It's going to be wonderful. And the guy goes, great, sounds good. I'll buy it. And so he buys it. He goes home. A couple days later, he walks back into the store and he just looks exhausted. He's like, I don't know what you were talking about, man. I've been trying to use this thing and I've hardly cut any wood. It's exhausting. And the guy who works at the store is, well, that's kind of weird. It shouldn't be any problem. Here, let me see if there's any issue with it. So he takes it, and he takes the pull cord, and he, he, he pulls it, and it starts right up, right away. And the other guy covers his ears and goes, what's that noise? It, it takes a second. It takes a second. It's even worse than that when we're trying to do good things on our own without 
God's power when we're trying to do it on our own power. We need his power. And what does this tell us about God? He cares about our lives right now. He cares about how you live, and he's there to help you even right now in this moment. God has called us to himself. He wants us. We are God's glorious inheritance. He delights in us. And God's immeasurable power is available to us. He cares about our life right now. And this is so important for us to understand because if we go through life trying to follow Jesus without understanding these essential things about our faith, without understanding the perspective that God has on us about how much he loves us, how much he wants us and delights in us and cares about us right now, if we miss that, then we're going to be trying to live a moralistic religion, trying to earn our way into God's favor without recognizing that he already loves us and he has moved heaven and earth to draw us near to him. So the three things that you need to know about your faith this morning is God, you, God has called you to himself. He wants you. You are God's glorious inheritance. He delights in you. And God's power is available to you us right now. He cares for you. And, and that last one, if I can just say one more thing about it, is so important because there's times where I'm just sitting there wallowing in my sin and I feel like God is just up there looking down on me, disappointed. Come on, Ryan, you can do better than that. Get up and, and try hard. Do better. Work harder. Sometimes we view God that way and yet that's not how he is at all. He lowered himself to be with us. Jesus came down to be a human to the point of death, even death on a cross, to save us from our sins. And so God has come down to be near to me, and he's with me, and he's given me his Holy Spirit. And he goes, Ryan, I gave you my Holy Spirit. Why are you trying to do this without me? Trust in me. Rely on me. Give up your own power and trust in mine. Then you can walk in newness of life in him. What do we do with this today? What's the application out of this message? It's very simple. Pray. This is a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. And and he prayed that they would even understand these things about their relationship with God. And so I encourage you this week to pray this for yourself. Pray this prayer that you would know that that God has called you to himself, that you're his glorious inheritance, and that his immeasurable power is available to you. Pray that you would know and understand those things. And then pick one other person in your life and pray it for them as well. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's one of your kids, but pray this verse for them as well, that they would know, that God would give them wisdom and understanding to know these things that are so essential for us to understand about our faith, for us to understand about how God views us, the perspective he has in us. Because God loves us. And we need to be reminded of that often. So as we end this message today, I want to pray. Once again, I want to pray for us this prayer that we've been talking about. So would you join me? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God, we give all glory and honor and praise to you. And Lord, I'm thankful once again for these people here. God, I'm thankful for your church 
I'm thankful for their faith in the Lord Jesus and for their love for one another. And God, I pray that you would give us all your Holy Spirit and that through your Spirit, we would have wisdom and understanding, that our eyes would be open to the truth of these things, Lord, that we would understand, that we would know, that we would believe that you have called us to yourself and we have hope forever in that calling. God, that we are your glorious inheritance. Lord, that you delight in us, that you you want us, that you like us. And God, I also pray that we would know and understand the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. God, this power that is beyond understanding, I pray that we would get a glimpse of it and that we would trust and rely on your power rather than trying to do it on our own. God, we need your help to even understand how to do that, and I pray that you would reveal that to us even this morning. God, we thank you for all that you've done for us through Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins. And we pray that we would understand this more and more every day. We pray this all in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.